up, queers? Hello, hello. My name is I. I'm Liv. And this is Andy. Hi, Andy. Hello. How Welcome are to you? the pod. I am good. I am doing well. You gotta like really Talk into eat the, the microphone. I am doing well. There you go. Yeah. So tell us, who are you? Well, by day, I'm a social worker. Um, by night, I am a dog parent. But more importantly than all of that, I am I's spouse. Yeah. Um, yeah. We did that thing. Pretty cool. Um, so today's episode, we are going to be talking to Andy a little bit about their journey to getting top surgery. So you may have noticed that I use they, them pronouns for Andy. So their pronouns are indeed they, them, um, and they are trans mask, non-binary. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about their top surgery journey, um, all the way from kind of how they learned about that as a possibility to actually getting surgery and the after care of that as well. Um, I am going to turn it over to Liv to do this episode because this is obviously something very close to my heart. So yeah, on that note, here we I go. I just kind of want to give a little, I got a little weenie dog in my lap. So <laughs> if you hear me fussling, bustling, or if you hear her collar, that's what that is. She yeah. is actively trying to climb over me to get to Andy, so. She's not very good at being alone. No, she's no. she's got separation anxiety, just like she, I do. She does. <laughs> she does. Honestly, Luna shares mental health issues with her parents. Honestly, her same queen. And her sister and her auntie. So. Yes. But so let's just kind of, before we get into it, I kind of want to make sure that this is known that this is not the episode where we're going to dive into people who are transitioning or questioning their transition or questioning their identity this is for those who have transitioned or are just making the decision to get top surgery and what that process looks like Mm -hmm. so I just kind of wanted to dive into that and make sure that we understand that this is going to be kind of the niche conversation not that that we won't talk about anything and everything else but the whole premise of this is pretty niche so first off Andy, where when did you start realizing that transitioning was an option or that top surgery was an option? Well, it was a bit of a complicated process. Um, when I was growing up, I never met anyone who was non-binary. I uh, didn't know anyone who was even trans for that matter. And after I graduated college, I went abroad where it was even less known. It was less seen around yeah. there. So I didn't really even know what being non-binary was until I moved back to the U.S. in 2020. I was actually shortly into uh, dating I. I started to see non-binary people. I started to see trans people around me and that was really you know I had thought of it a little bit before then so I think at this point I would have been 26 years old if I'm not mistaken my age tends to uh, be forgotten by myself quite often so I would say that around that time right before I started dating I I started to realize what they them pronouns were I started to realize what being non-binary was and I remember shortly into dating I she asked me if or what pronouns I used. And at that point, because I had felt so comfortable with her, I shared that I was thinking about using they, them pronouns, but I wasn't really fully aware of everything and I was still exploring my gender. So long story short, uh, I think it's been about 
um, what am I now, 28, so maybe two two years or so, mm-hmm. that I've been open about being non-binary and slowly have uh, started to be open with more and more people. I love that. And so what was that education process like when it came to like not only you learning about what non-binary was, but kind of like the people around you? So definitely a lot of education for myself. But apart from that, uh, the people around me, I remember when I told my mom, she really had to, it took her a while to understand how to use they them pronouns. I think that in the beginning, there was a lot of, you know, they is using sort of incorrect grammar, not really understanding. But to be honest, a lot of the people around me that truly cared did the education for themselves. Yeah. Um, which I think was really special because as a non-binary person, as a trans person um, or anything else, you know, it's not necessarily my responsibility to educate others. And I really appreciated how people sought education outside of asking me those questions. I has been really amazing in um, provide, providing education for some people that have asked. So a lot of that kind of fell on the people around me who knew what it meant. And that Mm -hmm. was amazing because it took that burden off myself as I was sort of learning things about myself and learning who I was personally. It gave the opportunity for me to explore that fully while others helped the people around me understand. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I I think that was a conversation that in a lot of in a lot of occasions I had to step in because I I knew it was something that made you uncomfortable when people were like, well, what does that even mean? What does being non-binary mean? What are they, them pronouns? So it, it definitely was as your partner, it was a lot of, a lot of just stepping in and knowing when you were feeling overwhelmed, explaining to people exactly just who you are. Because most of the time, you know, when you're a cis individual, you don't have to explain to people your pronouns or who you are. Mm -hmm. But we kept having to have that discussion with family members, with friends, with just people in our lives to to really educate them. Yeah, absolutely. And educate me here a little bit. Just because somebody would identify as non-binary doesn't necessarily mean that they always identify using they, them pronouns, correct? Correct. So in your transition into being non-binary, what what was kind of the deciding factor for you in using gender neutral pronouns? Well, I think that I don't identify as a woman and I don't identify as a man. Mm -hmm. Well, I shouldn't say I think. I know that I don't identify as either. And so with that, I felt a lot of dysphoria. I felt a lot of struggle with people calling me she. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt a lot of struggle with people calling me he because I'm also not a man. And so for me, it was more about the fact that I'm neither. I don't identify either way. While I am very mask in the way I present, that's not who I am. I'm not a man. And so the thing that felt uh, the most fitting was they, they, them pronouns, uh, with no other aspect of she, her, uh, he, him, just they, them, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a man. I'm not a woman. I know I've said that six times now, but, um, I, I'm not either. So, um, that was what, what felt the best for me. Yeah. I love that. Just kind of like identifying yourself and like being most comfortable in your skin and how you're dressed day to day. Exactly. I love that. And so what made you kind of want to pursue, top surgery or kind of like surgery in general of any kind rather than just presenting mask so top surgery for me was a big thing i've always had a lot of dysphoria in my chest Um, i've always really struggled with that 
And it's always been a part of me that kind of feels like, you know, it's not who I am. It's not part of me. It always, you know, when I looked at myself before I had top surgery, I didn't look for very long because, you know, obviously if I wasn't wearing a shirt and I would see um, my chest, I just really felt like that wasn't a part of me. I -hmm. felt like that wasn't who I was or didn't have anything to do with who I am. And so for me, I always felt like I just, I didn't want them. I didn't want to look at them. I didn't want to um, have them. I didn't want to wear a bra. I was always wearing either a very tight sports bra or a binder, um, which actually a little side note, um, Ayana was the first one to buy me a binder. And I just remember that moment when I put it on for the first time. I had no idea what they were. I didn't know how to get one or what to do with it. And So at that point, put it on and just the euphoria that I felt, while it wasn't everything, um, I just remember that it was so much closer to the way that I've always imagined myself and the way I've always imagined I should look. That was an incredible moment to witness as well. Seeing them, I'm like tearing up right now, (laughs) but seeing them put it on for the first time and the way that their face lit up when they looked in the mirror, it was the most beautiful experience. I, I honestly, like we have so many incredible moments together and there have been so many incredible moments in our lives and our life together, but that is one that is just, it is seared into my brain as one of the happiest memories that I have being with you. So I think that the way that I've always kind of described it is when I get my period or when I uh, looked at my chest before I had surgery, to me, it's like alarm bells going off in my head. And those alarm bells are saying essentially, you're a woman, you're a woman, you're a woman. And like I said before, that's not how I identify. And so looking at them or, you know, whatever other thing that causes me uh, dysphoria at the moment, seeing it or, or experiencing it just really, it reminded me of the fact that I had some part of me that didn't align with who I was. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely eye opening. I would, I definitely want to say for like a lot of people who are probably in your position as well, just trying to know that upon themselves and you know, what they're feeling is real. And it's not just like temporary dysphoria. And that's amazing. So when you'd gotten through that process, you've had those conversations with yourself, you know, for a fact, top surgery is the route that you want to go down. What were your next steps? So the first thing that I did was, I mean, obviously the first thing before all of that was to discuss all of this with Ayana. As their partner, I thought it was well, I think it's very important that you discuss it with who you're with. Mm -hmm. While it is your journey, it is definitely something that needs to be brought up in a relationship. But apart from all of that, the first thing that I did for the actual process was uh, discuss it with my therapist. I'm very fortunate to have a therapist who is trans and has been through these things himself. And so I discussed it there And he was able to kind of walk me through the process. Um, But that was really the first step was sort of to, you know, officially they ask that you document gender dysphoria. um, And that's for all the paperwork. But that was kind of the first step for me was to really decide in therapy that that was the right thing. And then also have that documented so that later on I could get all the paperwork that I needed. So and that's just like therapy paperwork? 
Yeah, so you do need a letter from a therapist. Mine, while I didn't go through insurance, which I'll get into later, um, I still did have to turn in a letter that said, you know, that I didn't have any significant mental health struggles and that this was um, a decision that I was making and that I understood the risks, understood what could happen and then documented that I had dysphoria and that this was the right thing for me. So that is a requirement from most doctors, but um, definitely if you go through insurance, it's a requirement. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so it's definitely a a lot more than just finding a doctor to perform the surgery. Like there's a lot that has to go into it. Absolutely, which is, you know, an issue with the system, but there is definitely a lot more that goes into it than just finding a doctor and, you know, signing up for a surgery date. And I think it's really important to also acknowledge that there are definitely different paths to go down to get a letter um, from a therapist. I do know that most licensed therapists do charge for those letters. However, there are routes through Planned Parenthood that are either low or no cost for those who do have concerns about that financial element. Yeah, and if you have the opportunity or if you have the privilege like Andy to have a personal therapist like have those conversations with them let them know that you're thinking about those things and a lot of the times they will have the answer or they'll at least be able to guide you like I know for my therapist my therapist doesn't know everything but she's at least like comfortable enough with me to be like I don't know I'll find it out for you though Mm -hmm. you know and that's the best part so how did you okay so you have your letter from your therapist you everything's documented you are of sound mind you're debatable but yes (laughs) according to the letter i was of sound mind but you are of sound-ish mind (laughs) what are your next steps after that how do you how how would somebody who has no idea and doesn't have an amazing partner like ayana go around the route of finding their doctor So what I did, and this was kind of at the same time that I was getting my letter, going back a step for a second, I didn't know that I needed a letter because I knew I wasn't going through insurance. I didn't know that I needed it until I found my doctor. But to answer your question, what I ended up doing is there are a lot of Facebook groups, um, and I won't name any specific ones, but if you kind of type in top surgery support, that sort of thing, you'll find a lot of big groups on there that have information about top surgery, whether it be recovery process, questions about the process in general, and a lot of information about different doctors. Um, There are also a few websites, and I can't think of them off the top of my head, but I will definitely look at them so that I and Liv can um, post some information. But I ended up going in there and just doing a lot of research. I looked, I kind of searched our um, city name. I searched Virginia and found a lot of information. And then from those specific places, I started to look them up, looked at some of their accomplishments or their, uh, I guess, accolades, um, their training, that sort of thing, and just did a lot of extensive research to find what was right. Ultimately, the doctor I decided on, I knew, well, I decided on him because he had done a lot of work with um, non-binary patients. And so that was really where I went. Um, The doctor I chose was about an hour away from us, but I chose him because of that specifically. There were doctors that were available in our city, but I just felt that the experience with non-binary individuals was um, much more important. But really just, it came down to doing a lot of research within Facebook groups, um, within some of those websites, um, and then really just like 
Google searching top surgeons or plastic surgeons, top surgeons in my city. And then from there, I would even like take those names and put them back into those Facebook groups Mm -hmm. and find information on exactly you know, real people's experiences. So really, it was just a matter of searching all the sources that I had and seeing what I could find and then narrowing it down from there. And I do remember that throughout that process, there were a lot of times where you would search a doctor and look at their results and you didn't see anyone whose body looked like yours. Absolutely. Um, and that was a, a big part of it as well was finding people with similar body types. Yeah. Um, so that Andy could see what the results looked like, what they looked like immediately after surgery or months later, fully healed, etc. And I do, I do, I did remember going through that process and it was really funny. I would get messages from Andy that was just like screenshots of posts being like, this person looks like me and this doctor did it. And I think one of the things you also, one of that, those kind of criteria is at, at that point you had kind of decided you didn't want nipples. And we were also looking at doctors that specifically had results that did not include nipple grafts. Mm -hmm. That was actually going to be one of my next questions. How did you choose to not get nipples? Well, folks, I don't have nipples, as they both just said. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, Spoiler alert. (laughs) So actually, going into the process, I was really torn because I didn't really know whether I would want them or not. What made me make that decision specifically was during my initial consult with the doctor we were talking about sensation and whether that sensation would come back whether it was sort of hit or miss or how that all worked so a few years ago I mean maybe six or seven years ago now but I had ankle surgery and I didn't necessarily gain all the feeling back and it's one of the most uncomfortable things I've experienced. I tend to get like shooting nerve pain and where this all relates is that I was so worried that that was going to be the case if I had nipples Mm -hmm. and that was something that I really did not want. So once I talked to her and she, the uh, person that I met with, the PA, kind of expressed that If I had had experiences with that in other areas or other situations in terms of surgeries or anything like that, that it was probably likely that that may be the case for my sensation if I were to have nipples. And for me, that was kind of the end all. That was what really made me decide that I didn't want them because I wasn't willing to risk that. Would you ever get like nipple tattoos? Absolutely not. I can't imagine getting a tattoo on my chest and... Maybe that'll change, but I actually really like that I don't have nipples. It's really um, cool. <laughs> I, I feel kind of like Kyle XY vibes. I was going to say that, the guy without the belly button. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't remember what it was. Same wavelength. Same wavelength. Same oh, wavelength. Yeah. Same favorite candy. This is getting scary. Honestly, when I had my abdominal surgery, I wanted to not have a belly button because I wanted to be Kyle XY. Kyle so XY. I guess I get to live my Kyle XY dreams by proxy. Honestly, Andy. that was the that was a decision. That whole story before <laughs> was actually made up in a lie. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. Came up with it right on the spot. Beautiful. Beautiful. So were there any points during your process leading up to the surgery where your therapist, your doctor, anybody else was like, are you sure? part one are you sure part two are you sure part three like how much double triple quadruple checking did you have to go through before you were able to actually like sign the consent form and show up for surgery um I don't think a whole lot and maybe I can correct me on that obviously like when you go into surgery they 
ask you like to explain what it is that you're doing just as like a confirmation for the doctor I think but yeah that's the case for any surgery but apart from that you know I don't think that there were any specific questions of are you sure this is what you were doing that this is what you want to do but I think that also speaks to the fact that my therapist and my surgeon were so understanding of what it was exactly that was being done and what it sort of meant to me and how it was such an important part of my journey because my surgeon specifically works at a transgender clinic and so Mm -hmm. the amount of patients he's seen the amount of experience he has with all of that I'm certain that that was part of the reason why he was so accepting and not wondering whether this was the right thing for me. Yeah, I think when you were going through the process, at least at any of the, the appointments that I was, well, I went to all of the appointments, um, <laughs> but at any of the appointments, one of the things that I can say just as an observation from the outside and just watching the interactions is that because this was specifically a doctor that focuses in gender affirming surgery and gender Mm -hmm. affirming care that once he received that letter from Andy's therapist it was like yeah this is you know all systems go yeah so it was truly I think that the only hurdle that there was to overcome was getting that letter because I think you have a trans therapist and because you have been with your therapist for for a decent amount of time that he was aware that this is a decision that you were not making lightly. I don't know that we could speak to others who have gone through the same process or those who perhaps have gone to surgeons who are not specialized in gender-affirming care but Mm -hmm. still perform top surgery. I think that that's just kind of from from the experience that Andy had and from my experience seeing it as third party, there weren't that many barriers to entry to actually getting to the point where surgery was scheduled. Was there a waiting period at all between getting the letter and finding your doctor that you like legally had to go through? No, not at all. The letter took a couple weeks just because of my therapist's schedule, which was, you know, completely understandable. But once I had that, the only waiting period was, you know, to actually get in for my consult, which was, you know, a month away just from their first available appointment. And then Mm -hmm. my second waiting period was obviously from that consult to my surgery date gotcha okay so it wasn't like they made you wait for a reason you had waiting periods because of paperwork uh yeah paperwork and just first available appointments yeah and scheduling makes sense okay and so we get through the surgery process you wake up afterwards what was how long after your surgery did you start to feel that euphoria moment that you were looking for well when i woke up i was freezing (laughs) cold and literally thought i was gonna die oh my Um, god but that that's you know beside the point i would say that my first moment of euphoria was the first time i took off my binder and went to shower that was what 72 hours yeah that moment for me was amazing it was just genuine euphoria right away and i know that's also not the experience for everyone um i don't tend to cry unless i stop taking my antidepressants (laughs) um however i i mean i didn't cry in that moment i didn't have one of those moments of just kind of like losing losing it and and you know no but I did oh yeah Ayana did actually Ayana was crying as I was like going into surgery but that's just because I, I she's had pre- all precious. the emotions for both really of you 
Yeah. So, I mean, it was that first moment. Now, part of that too was when I had my consult, my surgeon told me that some of my, or that my scars were going to be a little bit straighter. And when I had seen that on pictures, while I firmly believe that for those people, their results were perfect and everything that they wanted, it was something that I was a little bit worried about. But that was part of why I was so happy when I saw it was because everything I imagined since he said that was so untrue. My, my scars were not straight. They framed my chest just how I wanted and so so yeah in in that moment um you know I just I felt so euphoric and I just felt that everything I had been through was everything I needed the weight was so worth it everything I mean it was just a wonderful experience it was so euphoric in that moment I love this just the positive energy that I'm feeling in this room right now just brings like I can't stop smiling this makes it, me so happy. It was really incredible. I mean, it, it was hilarious when I went to pick them up after surgery. So it was, yeah. it was a little bit scary because... Were they drugged? Yes. Heck yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> no. If you can hear our, our other dog, she's downstairs just barking up a storm. She likes to bark at everyone outside. Um, she thinks they're all our enemies. She's actually but, protecting us until the people get close. And then, and then she, she will scare... I mean, run away scared. Yes. But when I picked Andy up... so. First of all, it was uh, an it's an outpatient procedure, mm-hmm. which you wouldn't think with how invasive it is, but it is an outpatient procedure. So I took them to the medical center. We went in, paid lots and lots of money. We don't talk about that. <laughs> it's it like we don't free. talk about Bruno. Exactly. We don't talk about Bruno. No, 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 no. But we had some really incredible friends that came to keep me company mm-hmm. while Andy was in surgery. Shout and out to them. Shout out to them. And then when I got the call that I could go pick them up, I got in there and the first thing they said to me, I walk in with the nurse and Andy just goes, my breath is so stinky. You <laughs> I did not say that. Yes, you did. The first thing you okay. said was, my breath is so stinky. And the nurse was like, it's not. And Andy goes, it you smelled my breath. It's bad. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, baby. It's okay. We don't have to worry about your breath. And they were, <laughs> they were, <laughs> they were being so funny. I mean, anyone coming out of anesthesia is going to be pretty. The pretty most hilarious. hilarious person in the world. Yes, um, but they were more concerned about their bad breath than anything else. Oh, I had gotten them a um, a mastectomy pillow mm-hmm. for the car ride home, and they get really nauseous. And we were really, really worried about the nausea. Like that was a big concern for us. But we told the doctor that and they got a special patch for the nausea. Really cool. It's it's like what they give for people going on cruises and stuff who have oh, like like motion, motion sick sickness. Patch? Yeah, they just yeah. put it behind your ear and it lasts like three days or three four days, days or something. Yeah. Wow. It worked wonders. Yeah. Remind I me to get one that when I go on a cruise. Daily yeah. life. <laughs> yeah, you really do need one for <laughs> you need one for every time you are in the passenger seat. Or just life in general true i feel like every moment of every day yeah that would be that would be nice i can imagine andy just getting up and getting motion sickness just from walking to the kitchen to the bathroom and just being like you say that jokingly but quite literally sometimes they get up and they're like i stood up too fast i'm gonna throw up and i'm like what oh my goodness sure but the you know we drove home right after so we are only about an hour away from their surgeon and where they had surgery. So mm-hmm. it was a pretty quick ride back. We got home. We got them inside. My mom was an absolute <laughs> angel. And shout came. out to her as well. Yeah, shout out to Eileen. Wonderful. 
she came and stayed with us for two weeks so that Aww. I could focus solely on Andy and she could take care of the dogs and the house and stuff so that all I had to worry about was taking care of Andy. I love that. Yeah. It was Eileen it was really is cool. goals. She is. She is. So, that. okay. So now we are home post-surgery. Tell mm-hmm. me tell me the recovery process. So, um, it was about... So, normally I've heard that some people can't shower for a little bit. My surgeon was fine that I showered, you know, after 72 hours. Because you didn't have nipple grafts. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, the recovery process from there, the first week while I had my drains in, that was pretty painful for me. You know, I felt this, it was essentially like a side stitch, but in my chest. And I could feel that that had a lot to do with where the the drains were. Mm -hmm. Um, It almost felt like they were kind of rubbing in there and that that was what was creating that. A lot of that was when I would get up and move around a lot. So most of what I did for those first two weeks was just kind of sleep and relax on the couch. Watched a lot of TV. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that that was probably the most... You did not watch a lot of TV. You watched a lot of the back of your eyelids. Yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. But when when my eyelids were not available for and my you, viewing, and you played uh, MLB the Show, heck yeah, I did a lot. Shout out to Joe Random, Joe Random and his brothers Sandy and Randy. Excuse me, their names are Sandal and Randall. Perfect. Yep, exactly. Um, uh, uh, wait, those are real names? Yeah. No. So so Andy played MLB the Show, um, which is quite literally baseball game like, I was video like game major league on baseball the, on the xbox for their whole recovery period they still play this game all the time but there are only certain names that the game can pronounce mm-hmm. so like if you do your real name it may not be able to pronounce it so it just won't say like it'll say like oh the player is coming up to bat or whatever That's instead stupid. of their name so andy named their character joe random and from there, they have developed the Random family, which includes Andy Random and Randy Random. And now And now Sandy, Sandy Random. Random. So they are Joe Random, Andal Random, <laughs> Randall Random, and Sandal Random. I, I think you deleted Randy. I love that. No, I think I deleted Andy. I think no, I made... You have, you have... Oh, I, I deleted Joe because Joe, yeah. I wanted them all to rhyme. So it's, yeah. I guess, Andal... Randall and Sandal. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. They but were also on massive painkillers. I was going to say the time, amount of so. serotonin, artificial serotonin through your body. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I played a lot of video games, um, which was really nice. We actually were able to play Monopoly a lot. And then yes. some of our friends would play That's on live with us, which was really fun. Shout out to them, too. Are you the family that plays Monopoly and never finishes? Or do you actually finish the game? Oh, no. no. We finish the game. Yeah. And it's so much quicker on the Xbox. Yeah. So we I don't know that we have it as a board game, but it's a lot of fun we on do. the Xbox. We oh, okay. Yeah. Um, We've never played it together no. on the board game, but there's a lot less cleanup, too. So that's nice. Yeah. And a lot less like banker math and all of that. So. Yeah. I love um, that. But. Yeah, so a lot of uh, video games, and then I ended up taking, I think, three, three and a half weeks off of work. Yeah. And a lot of that was because I didn't have any desire to go back, but that also allowed me to ease in. Um, At the moment, I'm working two jobs, and so I started my afternoon job, which was only a couple hours Mm -hmm. first, and then I was able to go back to my other job as well. I was really lucky to be able to take short-term disability and then also 
fill in the rest with PTO so I didn't have to take any sort of pay cut. Yep. And I was completely fine when I went back to work. Um, I didn't have any issues. Most of the pain was pretty much gone after I got my drains out. And then from there, it was really just a matter of kind of gaining my range of motion back. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of soreness and I guess some tightness in my sides when I raised my arms. So that I just kind of did some like arm raises, mm-hmm. um, massaged my scars. Like once climbing I had permission. the walls with your arms and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, not like physically climbing up, climbing up them like Spider-Man. Oh, no. Unfortunately, like I don't have that power. Using your fingertips to walk your arm Oh, up no. I wall. imagined Andy climbing like Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah Andy absolutely. is Spider-Man. Um, that's a secret that I can't share on this podcast. So for now, I'll deny it. But yeah. So okay, Peter Parker. <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of like little things. And then um, I think it was six weeks after I was able to mm-hmm. do more physical activity, mm-hmm. which admittedly I have not. But at least, you know, when I'm running late, I can run from my car into my therapist's office or every other appointment that I'm running late to without pain now. So um, that's been really helpful as far as my physical activity. And when you well, and also when you hit that point, it was it was really funny. So we do have a mini dachshund and she is about 11 pounds and Andy wasn't allowed to lift anything over 10 pounds. So Luna was so sad all the time because she was not getting picked up and loved on as much by Andy Aww. because also she likes to she likes to lay on your chest yeah. and like jump on your chest when she's playing. And so she wasn't able to do that. So at when we hit the 6 week point and Andy was able to to play with her, it was so stinking cute i was just as sad as luna it made me (laughs) like feel so separated from her Um, i will say that now i'm what three three months Mm -hmm. out from surgery yeah you hit three months in two days yeah three three months in two days and it still does hurt when luna kind of walks on my chest or jumps on it but that's pretty much like the only pain i'll experience um there is still like the tiniest bit of tightness under my arms but that i'm sort of working out i am a little bit nervous to like lift any weights but i'm sure that that's just internal and i'm sure i'll be completely fine if i do so what does this mean so you were an athlete right you do cross country um or just running in general Uh, I did run a lot before and um, I play softball in a league here in Richmond, but also played college softball when I was younger. So what does your recovery process or what does your recovery timeline, how does that line up with you playing sports? Like, are you able to go in like full fledged play softball tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, I could go to the gym right now and bench press as much. Well, not as much as I want, um, but as much like I could just go bench press and work back into that if I wanted to. Um, I could go for a run if I wanted to. That was pretty much up until the six week mark that I wasn't able to do that. And now, you know, I can if I want to, which I do, but I do until the moment that I'm about to put my shoes on and then I don't want to anymore. Um, (laughs) Me every day of my life. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm perfectly fine, cleared to do pretty much anything I, I could ever dream of. So let's just backtrack it a little bit before you got your tubes out. For those who don't know, what are the tubes for? Like we know that they're to drain, but like what are they, what are they draining? What does it look like? Oh, let me talk about this. This is the most fun part. I <laughs> um, So I'm obsessed with things that are a little bit gross. 
and I know a lot of people don't like drains. So the drains is to take out the lymphatic fluid and any blood or any buildup that happens in the chest. Okay. So basically if the drains aren't there, the fluid has nowhere to go and can cause infection. So the drains dump the lymphatic fluid, blood, any other buildup of fluid out into these little, they look like light bulbs. Okay. Um, like these rubber light bulbs. So... Andy had to keep them kind of clipped on themselves because they're really only held in with like one little stitch. Oh my God, that's so scary. It's terrifying. Um, but they had to be stripped hourly, which means to strip the tubes, they are, you grasp it and you have to use your other hand to kind of get all of the clots and all of the fluid out of the drain into the bulb. And then you measure that fluid twice a day. So once the fluid is under, I believe it's 10 milliliters combined for 48 for hours. 48 hours so 10 one day 10 the next yes that is when you can get them out because you are producing little enough fluid that anything produced can be inside your body healthily gotcha if Which, i remember correctly we started out and it was like 60 milliliters yeah it was a, a day lot but if i remember correctly a lot of the uh issues with like fluid buildup um the reason you wear a binder for six weeks after your surgery is because if you don't control the swelling or um do what you need to get rid of it it can actually affect your results now don't quote me on that but i'm pretty sure that was also a big reason for a the drains and b having to wear a binder for so long so like it can make your chest look puffy or it can affect mm-hmm. how your scars heal I think I think both yeah oh interesting which I mean that kind of defeats the purpose of getting top surgery yeah yeah it can end up being kind of lumpy Mm. if you don't take care of it properly take care of your drains bitches yeah and also if you have someone who likes gross things have them help you with your drains because it was super fucking fun for me because I got to dump it into dump the drains into a little container twice a day measure them I had a whole little chart that I had to keep track of how much they were draining every day it was it was pretty fun but uh, some people have their drains in for a couple of weeks 10 days and he was able to get theirs out after seven days yeah I think they were saying that they don't like to remove them anywhere or any sooner than um seven days Mm -hmm. and I think I got them out on day eight there are other doctors that do it differently that was one of the things that I saw in some of these groups when I was doing some research on what exactly what happens and all of that I've seen some people either don't get drains at all I've seen some that get them out after like one day but mine was a little bit different it was seven days minimum and typically Mm -hmm. anywhere from seven to ten days that you get them out so is there anything that can kind of go wrong in the healing because we've been discussing of everything that goes right you know Mm -hmm. ideally it would be x y and z what were kind of the precautions that your doctor gave you or that like you learned about through the process of what to be wary of make sure you don't do this at this time that type of thing so I did ask my doctor if there were any complications. One of the things he said was that if you're not moving your shoulder or your arms and your shoulders after the time that they allow you to, you can get frozen shoulder. And then the first couple of weeks, I wasn't allowed to raise my arms above my head. So Out of fear of like tearing your stitches? No, I, I think most of it was actually glue. So I didn't have a lot of stitches. I believe a lot of that is just because of the fact that obviously they've messed with your chest muscles. Yeah. Um, and letting that heal so that was part of it 
And then once I was allowed to do that, then I was, they told me that I needed to make sure I was doing some um, exercises with my arms and sort of range of motion and all of that so that I wasn't getting frozen shoulder. Obviously with any surgery, there are complications, but um, my surgeon did express that they were very, like the chance of it was very low. I would like to take this moment to, to discuss the fact that so many people think that you're going to regret it after top surgery. The chance of all of that stuff happening, whether you're transitioning or any of that is so low and such a misconception to people who are um, not within the community and not completely understanding. Um, That was one thing that I did have to discuss with some people close to me and am still kind of working through with them because they were so convinced that I was going to regret my decision. Full disclosure, have not for even a second regretted my decision since I've had top surgery. Yeah. So that's, I mean, obviously that's something that can happen. Chances of it happening are so low and realistically there is a solution if that were to be the case, which is obviously, you know, um, having implants or anything like that. There are oftentimes some complications that cause a need for revisions. I haven't experienced that, but I do know that that can happen sometimes, but I believe those are pretty easy. I think one of the main ones is called dog ears. So you'll get like a little overlap of skin kind of hangs down, but I believe that's just a matter of cutting it off. And that Um, that also happens more commonly to those who have either larger chests or who have just like genetically have more like fatty sides. Mm-hmm. Andy is I think the the words that your doctor used were that you are you're you were very trim. And so if you think about for those who do have breasts, some of, you know, myself included, have that kind of little skin on your side that you mm-hmm. get, that can form and that is what the dog ear is. It's that gotcha. little bit of kind of fat on the side. And so after they've removed all of that portion of your your breast and breast tissue, it can sometimes just come back. But like Andy said, that's a, a very that is a very quick outpatient it's only local anesthetic. Like they literally just like Shoop, slice it right off. One, two, same three, thing, done. Same thing with like if you build up excess fluid, they can just drain that. That was the other thing that they mm-hmm. said was if there was a lot of swelling to call them um, and, and I would come in it. and they'd um, drain it for me. Yeah, they do um, it with like a needle. Yeah, and so some of those things are are possible. I also think that my doctor said something along the lines of, I have very nice skin, but it's very tight. Yes. Um, which is one of the <laughs> reasons why he was concerned about having to make straight incisions rather than curving them to sort of form. So because you had high nipples. Yes. And so he was saying <laughs> that some of that was going to possibly create this like straighter incision and I was really looking for it to kind of define my chest but like I said that turned out just the way I wanted it to so Mm -hmm. that wasn't an issue afterwards but yeah so so I think that's also part of the reason why I haven't had any issues with dog ears or anything like that but Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how long that sort of can happen I don't know if later on those can develop or or how that works exactly but to this point three months in I've, I've not had those issues so I love that. Grateful and thankful. And so post-surgery, are you using any specific products? Are you doing anything? Like what tips and tricks do you have post-surgery for somebody who wants to do that extra step of healing? Yeah. So a big thing is scar care afterwards. So they do say that everyone should massage their scars. 
they will the doctor will tell you uh when you can do that but that's actually something that's required because your incisions can i guess like stick to your muscle or Mm -hmm. or something i'm not sure what the specific issue is but that's required of of anyone to sort of break up that scar tissue and prevent that from happening that's horrifying yeah because you're already going into a state of healing your outer skin and flesh can adhere to the muscle the wrong way Ooh, so that's that's a big thing usually i do that like in the shower i'll just take mm-hmm. soap and and um rub them out even at this point i don't know how long i was supposed to do that for but still doing it because and i help by regularly just poking the scars which i can't <laughs> feel um i can feel when i when i massage them but the other day ayana was like rubbing her finger on it just to see yeah. and honestly it was the weirdest experience because i wasn't looking at it and i had no idea that she was doing it so i do still have some sensation and i know that like rubbing it and massaging it can help bring that back um, and sort of stimulate those Mm. uh, nerve endings so that they can kind of reconnect. Other than that, my scar care includes using scar gel and then silicone scar tape. So usually what I'll do is every time I shower, I'll um, massage in some scar gel. And then after that, I put on some scar tape, which usually lasts a couple days. Mm -hmm. I take it off to shower, but I can put it right back on when I'm done. Um, And on occasion... They put their tape aside to put back on after a shower and I come into the bathroom and it gets stuck to my butt. There was one day we were were spending like 10 minutes searching for it. I was like, I just cut this. Where did it go? Like, what's happening? I put it on earlier in the day. And then I turned around to look in the laundry basket. And it's hanging off her butt. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's like leaving a public bathroom with toilet paper on your foot. Pretty much. Yeah. Except it wasn't public, but it was still just as great. Scar tape on my butt. That's so fucking funny. I fucking love that so much. Yeah. And it it is really cool to to see the scar tape as well. They've gotten really good at applying it. Mm -hmm. And so I just will see them there in the mirror and they're just like, whoop, put the tape on right across the scar. I'm really bad at judging the exact size. So I end up like having it it very long. I also, I either cut it off or it's like halfway around my back and I'm like, oh, (laughs) that's not where my scar is. Um, The one thing I don't do, and this is because I think it's really cool is I have obviously scars for my drain um, holes where the drains came in and out. I do not do any scar care on them because I'm so obsessed with the fact that I have these little holes in the side of my body. Um, And And they regularly will come up to me, pull up their shirt and go, look at my butthole. Yep. Point at the the drain scar. Oh my gosh, I love that. So, would you say that you're holy? No. Lol. Okay, that was. I thought that that was was really funny, but religion is not my my strong suit. And I had to sneak in a moment where I'm gaslighting Liv because that is what I do. That's it. It is actually hilarious to see the two of them interact because they just comically gaslight each other they just flipped each other off no we didn't they can't see that there's no proof i don't know what you're talking about i zero evidence none no but it's it's been great to kind of like get to know you on this aspect so what advice would you give anybody of, of any stage during their top surgery process 
So I think one of the biggest things that was a guiding factor for me when I first started to bring it up with my therapist, you know, regret was a big thing. And I was really worried about the fact that I'd make the decision and then regret it. Um, Obviously, there are fixes to it all. But, you know, those cost money. There's complications in that, too. There's issues there. So my biggest worry was regret. And one of the things that my therapist told me really early on as I was talking to him about it was, what was your thought when you initially heard about top surgery as an option? And I said to him, I was like, it was everything I wanted. And he was like, then that is your decision. That is what you should go by Mm -hmm. and that for me was huge that Mm -hmm. was like a big moment for me to realize that no matter how much anxiety I had about it you know obviously going into a surgery you get anxious you everyone gets nervous and not it didn't come regularly that I thought you know this isn't something I want but it did every now and then I had a family member who was a little bit you know did struggle and did tell me often that you know I was making the wrong decision and so in that came some, I don't know that regret's the right word, but just, I guess, self-doubt. And every time I had that, I would go back to what my therapist said and, and just go, you know, what was my thought initially when I realized that this was an option? And that really, you know, guided me through that part. I think the other part for me that was difficult, I had maybe a six or seven month waiting period. Um, and so just being able to stay patient, um, Ayana regularly reminded me that you know, my chest would be gone soon if I was feeling dysphoric about looking at it, which was really helpful. And I think my biggest advice for others would just be to, to trust yourself. You know, if this is something that you feel the moment you heard about it, if this is the something that you felt in that moment was the right thing for you, then trust your gut, you know, go with your gut, your gut knows best. Well, you know best, actually. So don't let other people tell you what you should or shouldn't do. Don't let other people try to talk you out of it. Just be yourself and know that that's the most important thing. And the the last thing along those lines is after I had surgery, I really felt like, you know, I have seen myself from the inside, but having surgery has allowed me to feel that others are seeing me for who I am and seeing what I see on the inside. And that for me, no matter what, will always be what keeps me from regretting any of this because what I see now on the outside is who I am on the inside and that means more to me than anything. So, you know, just trust your gut, know that this is the right thing, don't let anyone talk you out of it and just, you know, stick to the process and and your moment will come. Obviously, top surgery is a huge privilege. Um, there are barriers with insurance, there are barriers with just uh, trans healthcare in general, but if this is something you believe is the right thing for you, stick to your gut and know that you're making the right decision because it will be euphoric for you to, to be able to see that um, once you're done with that process. And you're going to have some really great jokes afterwards because Andy often comes up to me and just lifts up their shirt and goes, look at my boobies! And I say, you don't have boobies! And they're like, oh yeah. Honestly, I I do that solely because I love hearing Ayana say, you don't have boobies, because (laughs) I'll be 95, and I think at that point, I'll still want to remind myself that I don't have boobs anymore, so. I feel like you need a sticker that's like, or like something posted around your work, around your office, or on your laptop that just is like, you don't have boobies, or like your wallpaper or something on your phone, it's like, you don't have boobies. So, not to kind of 
negate what you're feeling or gaslight you. This is really not my intention, <laughs> but actually something that I did want to touch on. Um, I'm not open about who I am at work. Um, that's really mm-hmm. a, a struggle that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, fully do not mean to gaslight you in this moment. So I will um, take your advice and put it on my desk at home. Um, it's something I'm still working through. I didn't tell anyone at work what I was doing. I was really nervous um, about getting the short-term disability paperwork because I was nervous they were going to say what what I'm doing and that that was going to create issues. No one really asked me, which was nice. The the PA from your doctor also on the paperwork when she filled it out, mm-hmm. she wrote medically necessary double mastectomy. Yeah. So it was it was really great because the the medical team was really supportive as well mm-hmm. in understanding that, you know, Andy is not was not going through their insurance and was not trying to really involve work in it too much. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's obviously a process I'm still working through, but I think it was really nice. I, I definitely have the privilege. I had relatively small boobicles, as I call them. <laughs> um, there are a lot of words that I use for them uh, just to make it sort of a laughing matter for me because that was how I needed to kind of cope with it. So no one really, I don't think a lot of people have like really noticed. And if they have, then I'm I'm happy because obviously it's a part of me that I'm really proud of. I do have some issues with work just because I work for an organization that has ties to religion. Um, And so that's kind of the basis of me not feeling super comfortable being open about it. Um, I also knew that that was going to be a barrier with my insurance. So that's why I didn't go through insurance. Um, I didn't even want to bother trying because I knew there was a statement in there that said that gender affirming surgery wasn't covered. So I didn't want to wait that extra month to try to get it approved. But yeah, so I mean, that's definitely still a barrier. I think that's probably something we could talk about later Mm -hmm. um, or in another episode and go into a little bit deeper. But, you know, definitely a struggle, definitely something that I'm still working through. But I think at the end of the day, I'm getting close to that point where I'm just going to be honest because one of the things that I've learned in all of this in top surgery and where I think this all kind of ties back to it is just that, you know, now that I'm able to allow others to see me for me and see what I've always seen inside. I don't want to waste any more time not being myself or not showing others who I truly am. So I think while it is a lot easier said than done, I think that's really important to me is is letting other people see me for me and, and being able to be myself at all moments of my day and at all times of my life. So that's kind of really what I've learned in all of this is just that there's no more, you know, it's not worth wasting, uh, not sharing who you are. So yeah, that's kind of how I, I I wrap it up. I wasn't gaslighting you, Liv, but consider yourself gaslit. Honestly, I consider myself gaslit every day in your presence. Good. <laughs> so, Andy, where can people find you on the internet if they would like to? Well, I have a an Instagram called Andy Snaps. And perhaps Ayana can tell me if it's Andy.snaps or just Andy Snaps. I believe it is Andy.snaps. Okay, thank you. Um, A-N-D-I dot snaps. And I tend to post a lot of just like fun photos on there of places that we've been exploring. So go check it out. Uh, not a lot of information about top surgery. I'll be completely honest. I do tend to like to keep the fact that I've had top surgery to myself, but I feel that it's important to share with 
this community. So I don't kind of introduce myself and say, hey, I'm Andy. I've had top surgery. Um, (laughs) That'd be a little weird. But you know, if that's if that's what you got to do, then that's what you got to do. So I don't I don't talk about it a lot on my social media, but you are more than welcome to ask questions or seek advice if you need. I don't know everything, but I will do my best to help you out. I love that. Awesome. And you can find us at subqueers.com. Yeah, subqueers.com. Actually, subqueers.com does exist. We just don't have a website on there yet. Yeah, sorry. That's on me. You can message us, ask any questions pertaining towards Andy's surgery. If you have any updates that you want to provide, any Mm -hmm. advice from your own personal experience, etc., please feel free to reach us at subqueers at gmail.com. Just put in the headline, top surgery question, top surgery advice, anything of the sort so that we know how to prioritize that. Yeah. Um, you can find our Instagram at subqueers, S-U-P-Q-U-E-E-R-S. We also have a Twitter, TikTok, and we don't have a Facebook yet. You can reach out, shoot us a message, ask us any questions. We've been posting polls recently on our insta story so if there's a specific topic or question that you have feel free to drop it in there did i miss anything no um you can find us on all major streaming platforms it would really help us out if you review us on spotify and apple podcasts it helps other people to hear our uh voices and get our message out to more folks if you are interested in a part two to this episode we would really love to hear from you so please reach out via all of the outlets that Liv mentioned and until next time when we come back and see what's up let's go eat some vegan hot dogs hell yeah (laughs) bye bye